I got my first kidney stone in 2019, uh, right when I turned 40. It was a, a rite of passage, I assume, for, for me to experience that. It's, it's something that runs in our family. My father gets them. My uncles get them. Um, and, and I know that genetically, we're, I'm just predisposed to it, and I'm, I'm preparing my son <laughs> to hopefully not have to deal with it, but, you know, it's just one of those things that happens. Um, you know, four out of five doctors agree that the pain from a kidney stone is worse than childbirth, from what I understand. <laughs> um, I, uh, I remember that night specifically praying for for the Lord to heal it because it was just excruciating. But but more than anything, the, you know, the pain can be dealt with. It can be managed. But the, more than anything, it was the, the unknown. I had never experienced that before in my life. And so I woke up very early in the morning, and um, I, I could not breathe. I could not get comfortable. I, I couldn't move very easily. And, and I, I had never felt this way before. And so I, my immediate thought was, am I having a heart attack? Uh, which obviously I was not. But I, I started to get up and I told Kelly, I said, Kelly, something is terribly wrong and, and I don't know what to do. And, and it was my back that was hurting. Um, so I, I was just kind of trying to move around. I was trying to find the spot. You know, when you, you have a pain, you try to find that spot to maybe pinch it. Maybe it's a muscle or something. Um, that you can you can pinpoint. Oh yeah, it's that right there. It's this muscle. It's this bone. It's this whatever. So I'm I'm trying to find the spot, and there's no spot to be found. So I'm walking around. We we call a a teledoc, um, and and they because it's it's part of our benefits. You know, you call in. It's a doctor that they get on the phone and they talk you through whatever it is that needs to be talked through. And and so. For the next five to six, the longest five to six minutes of my life, for the next five or six minutes, they're asking me questions about my age, my name, um, all the details that they need, my address, all the stuff that just, the paperwork. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, standing there thinking, can we just move on? Can we just, can we do the administrative stuff after you've diagnosed me and told me that I'm dying? Can we just figure that out first? So I'm doing it, we're, we're talking through it, and, and about halfway through talking to this, this person, oh, and they had to transfer me. First they get that stuff, and then they transfer you to the doctor, right? So we're going through all this. We're in the midst of being transferred to an actual doctor, and, uh, and Kelly says, you know what, I think you might have a kidney stone, which never even crossed my mind, because I've, I've never experienced that. So I'm, I'm thinking... You know, what is that? What do I do about it? And, and she said, I bet you have a kidney stone. I bet we have to go to the emergency room. And so we're, we're talking to the, the doctor. I, I tell her my pain. I tell her what I'm going through. I, I have to repeat it for her because I already repeated it to the, or told it to the person before her. Uh, and then at the end of the call, uh, she says, well, I think you might have a kidney stone. You might need to go to the emergency room. And I'm like, I could have just asked my wife. And this could have been done 10 minutes ago. Um, so we did. We, we ended up calling someone to come watch the girls. Levi hadn't been born at the time. Called someone. They came to watch the girls, and, and we left for the emergency room. And, and they pumped me full of saline, and, and some, they gave me some strong drugs. 
they did a, a, a CT and, and determined that sure enough, you have a, a two millimeter, uh, which is tiny, two millimeter kidney stone uh, that's working its way through your body. Um, and, and I remember that experience vividly because of it was, it was the first time that that's ever happened to me. And, and I, I asked them at that point in time, what could we do? What, what can we do to, um, to mitigate this if it happens again? And they said, there's nothing that you can do. Your, your diet, your lifestyle, um, what you eat and drink obviously determines the growth of kidney stones. But once it happens, once, once it starts moving, there's nothing that breaks it up. If it's too large, they'll do surgery on you. Um, there's another form of surgery where they use sound waves to break it up. But beyond that, there's nothing that you can take or do to get rid of that uh, more easily. There's a, there's a couple medications to get rid of the pain or, or to help with the pain, I should say. But there's nothing beyond that that they can do. And so uh, since that time, I've, I've experienced uh, four kidney stones. And, and I had the latest one uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, and it started on Thursday. I woke up. I had the pain in my back. Uh, I had the pressure where I knew it was going to happen. And I thought, this is it. It's, it's happening again. Um, but I learned my lesson from the emergency room and, and understood that there's, there's, I, I'm not going to go and spend $100,000, dollars $300,000 at the emergency room for them to just give me some pain medication and send me on my way. And so I thought, I'm just going to have to fight through this pain and just deal with it. And so I I took some, some medicine that we had in the medicine cabinet from that time, so it was expired, but I, hey, it might still work. Um, but I took the medicine, and then I just, and I powered through, and, and I began to, again, uh, plead with the Lord, please, please take away this pain. Please help me through it. Um, and and I'm, I'm happy to announce that I have no pain right now. I, I feel good. I'm able to be up here walking and, and speaking. Um, the pain is gone. But, and let me be clear, though, I have not passed the kidney stone. We're not at that stage yet for whatever reason. So I don't know if it just dissolved or resolved itself or the Lord zapped it. Whatever it might be, it's, it's not there right now, and, and I feel good. Um, but it, it got me thinking about my advanced age and, and where I go from here. Um, as many of you know, I just celebrated my, my 44th birthday. Um, and so I, I know that this is not something that's just going to go away magically. I have um, been here, I have done that, and I know what to do from here on out. And as I began to think about the, the trial and tribulation that was this kidney stone, and in studying for this particular message, I, I came upon this passage here. And, and I think it's relevant to the experience that I had. So John chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go, out, go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Life more abundantly, life abundantly. That's the title of this message this morning. Um, and, and, it, and it deals directly with what is abundant life? What is this life abundantly that he's referencing here? 
He, he doesn't necessarily call it out and says, this is what's going to happen to you with this abundant life. So we have to find the meaning of this in Scripture. I begin to look at, um, I'm studying now for my teaching in a couple of weeks for Sunday school. And it's something that I've been studying for a while. I'm going to touch on it just a little bit. But, but it goes back to communion and, and why we take communion and why do we take bread and why do we take uh, wine, liquid and, liquid and solid? Why do we consume those two things? What is it about communion? What is it about the bread that, that is so important? I've spoken on this before, but, but I'm expanding the, the, the topic into other things that I've been researching but, but a big part of that, what I'll touch on today, is that we are a triune being much like the image of God. We know that, that God, the Trinity, is a triune being. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and God created us in that same vein. He created us uh, body, soul, and spirit, or mind. He created us to be this, this triune being just like he is. He created us in his image. And a big part of that is obviously this physical body that we live in. So when we think about our, our physical body, this temporary shell that we live in, that's the part that I think most people believe needs to live abundantly. That's the part where we think that's, that's where the abundance should come in. That's, that's where I would like to see the, the, the power of God uh, exploring. And so we, we talk about healing. We talk about provision. We talk about all the things that, that we feel that we need for our lives. But I think that's the biggest misnomer uh, that has come out of us really understanding Scripture, is this concept that your body is the thing that's going to live abundantly. Because we all experience pain in some form or another. We all go through these, these life events that happen to us. And, and um, as we go through them, I, I remember this morning even, Katie talking about Joseph and, and going through prison and, and how he had to deal with that in order to be in the position that he was going to be in. But that's his body experiencing pain. And, and you could argue that that's not abundant life. That's not a life that is full of abundance. What was full of abundance was the spirit in which he experienced that life through. The, the understanding that God was with him, the understanding that God is taking him through this event because there's more coming that he needs to be prepared for. And, and that's really the crux of what we're talking about this morning, the abundant life coming not to a physical body, but a spiritual one, a pneumatikos one. That's what we have to recognize as we go through life. Again, I'm happy to report that I, I'm feeling no pain while I'm with you here today, but it doesn't mean that I won't experience pain or that you won't experience pain in, in the near future or in the far future. We all experience pain. We will all, at some point in time, experience death. But death of the body, not death of the spirit. So as we start looking at this and, and what, really what Jesus wants us to understand about an abundant life, I was taken to um, the concept of what is this, this life that he's talking about. So on your sheet, there's Jeremiah 2. I'm going to go and skip that one and come back to it. I want to start with John chapter 4 first. Jesus is sitting there um, 
waiting for his disciples. He's at a well, and, and he's just sitting. He's just pontificating. And a woman comes up and starts to draw out of the well. And, and it says, then the, then the woman came up to him and, and started to draw. She was drawing water. Um, and she said, what, what are you doing here? What, what are you going to do about this? You don't have anything to draw with. And he says, then said the woman of Samaria unto him, in John chapter 4, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask to drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus had asked her for water. She says, why, why would you do that? We're not friends. We're not of the same race. We're not of the same community. And Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that said to thee, give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. Living water. What is this living water that he's talking about? Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 12. Be astonished, O you heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The concept of living water in both the Old and the New Testament was about moving water. It was about water that was, that was active, that was actively doing what it was supposed to be doing. They, they, uh, they tell you during mosquito season, everybody knows it's mosquito season, right? My wife hates mosquitoes. Beyond anything else, she just abhors the mosquitoes. And, and so the girls call me uh, every once in a while to a specific room, and they say, hey, come kill that spider or come kill this bug. And I tell them, if we leave the spiders alone, they will eat the mosquitoes. But they, they, just, they want all the bugs gone, so I have to go and kill spiders. Mosquitoes are out there. Mosquitoes thrive on one thing, and that's stagnant water, water that's not moving. That's where they lay their eggs. They lay their eggs in stagnant water. So what, what you've been told is to go around your property and make sure that there's no place where water can pool. Did you know, I know not everybody loves Disney, but did you know that Disney found a solution to this problem? You will not find anywhere on their property standing water. Every source of water that is at a Disney property has some sort of fountain uh, or something that's moving in there that keeps the water from being stagnant. And that's why you don't find mosquitoes at Disney. They've, they've recognized where they are and in the swamplands of Florida, and they understood that we've got to take care of this very specific problem, and that's how they've taken care of that problem. But this stagnant water is what this is talking about here in Jeremiah. They have forsaken my fountain of living waters, waters that's constantly moving, water that is, that is flowing from me into them and then from them into something else. And instead, what they've hewed are cisterns, cisterns, places where they can have this stagnant water. It's the same concept, when you think about it, um, of, of the manna. When God was doling out the manna, he would say, wake up in the morning, go get the manna, collect just enough for, for you and your family for that day, and, and then the rest needs to be thrown out. I don't want you to collect it. I want you to eat it. It's my provision to you, but get just enough for that day because the rest is just going to be rotting. It's just going to be, it's, I'm going to make sure that it gets thrown away. And sure enough, people would try to collect more than enough. They would try to hold for themselves more so that they didn't have to work the next day and collect it. And, and they would collect this thing in one day, 
And then they would find the next morning that it had bugs, weevils, worms, whatever you want to call it. It was rotting. And God had told them, don't collect more than what you're given. And that's what these cisterns represent. These cisterns of water that just sit there and they hold because they, it, they, the people no longer wanted to activate with God. They wanted to come into the, the temple or come to church and just sit and absorb and just to listen. And isn't that what a lot of churches have become? Places where people come and they sit and they listen and they're not activating those things that God wants to activate. That's really the calling of the saints is for us to be living waters. That is life and life more abundantly. That's the abundant life that Jesus wants for us. Look at John chapter 7. Verse 37, the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. As the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. There is no one scripture that says, and out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. What we find, however, is, is littered throughout the Old Testament references to us being this living water, of, of us being the spring. Isaiah chapter 41, I have them here for you. We're going to read them. Isaiah chapter 41, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue fails for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. Isaiah 44, for I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your seed and my blessing upon your offering and they shall spring up as many the grass as willows by the water courses. Isaiah 58, and the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. Joel 2.28, I love this one. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaidens in those days will I pour out my spirit. This is the living water that he was referencing. The spirit is the living water that Jesus was talking about. We know this. This is why we activate in diverse tongues. This is why we come and we pray and we call out to God. And, and, and I talked about these before, the four types of prayer, the thanksgiving, the prosuke, the intercession. This is why we cry out that way because we know that this living water, the spirit within us is what gives us this abundant life. This is something that is given to us to pour forth out to others. And I think that's the most important part of this abundant life. The abundant life is not, again, for your body. The abundant life is for your spirit, but it's a, it, it takes a very, very special manifestation inside of us. And that is in that next scripture in Galatians 5 and 22. The fruit of the spirit is what comes out from those living waters. It's what waters that, that ground, the, the tree that we're about to talk about. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. 
And they, they, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit. I looked at this passage a, a long time ago, a while back, and I recognized, and I hope you see it here too, that the this, this fruit of the Spirit, not one of them is for you. Have, you. have you seen that? Not one of these fruits is something that you consume for yourself. You don't take joy and, and, and feel joyful for yourself. You don't take love or peace or, or patience, and, and it's for you. It tends to be for someone else. You usually have patience for someone else. My patience runs out pretty quickly. I, I don't have a temper. I don't get angry, but I, I really just don't have a whole lot of patience. I, I tend to want to move and, and get things flowing. My wife was, was upset at me the other day. Um, I was on, my, on the road on my way to get some food, and, and she was telling me about um, the, the, I don't want to call it a promotion, but, but the gift of God through her work um, that she got. And she was telling me all the things about the lawyers and how it was working out. And I was very proud of my wife. And I knew, I, I know how much of a rock star she is. You all know how much of a rock star she is. And all the things that she does for our family, all the things that she juggles, um, taking care of our, our children, our lives, and making sure that the girls have places to go in the summer. Um, she knows everybody's social security numbers and if, if she were gone, I don't know what I would do or who would I, I would call to make sure that we could just continue on living. I'd probably just, just go live in Montana and live off the fat of the land and go hunting, and, and I don't know, because we just couldn't do it anymore without Kelly. So she's telling me all this about, about her job, and I'm driving, and I get to the place where I'm going to stop and get food. And, and I said, uh, I, I didn't say it like this, but you might as well hear it like this because I'm sure this is how she, she heard it. I said, okay, yeah, hey, but real quick, let's just figure out food because, because I'm here at the place and, and I want to get this done. And, and she got a little upset, and, and for good reason. I was trying to get the order, get the food, come back home. I had a meeting I had to come back home to, and, and I said, hey, can we, like, can we just real quick just figure out the food situation? What do you want to eat from there? And then the rest of the conversation was just all downhill from there. Uh, she was frustrated. I was impatient. She couldn't find anything on the menu. I told her, well, they don't have that kind of stuff on the menu. I know they don't have that stuff on the menu, but this is what I'm looking for. Well, they don't have that kind of stuff. Okay, fine, then I just won't eat. And then it just, it just spiraled at that point in time. So I ended up getting her something on my own accord. I, I hope she enjoyed it. She ate it, so obviously she got some substance, sustenance. Um, substance and sustenance. But patience was for her. My patience was for her. That's, that's what I needed to exhibit at the time, patience. Joy is something that you share with others. It's not something that you hold on to yourself. You don't, you don't go home and, and dance and have joy, and then there's nobody around to experience it with you. I mean, you could, but it, it's not for anybody else at that point in time. So joy is for others. Love. When you have love, you're supposed to love other people. You're supposed to love others. You're supposed to love the Lord. Can you love yourself? Sure, but that's not what it's for. Love is exhibited to other people. Gentleness. Who are you gentle to? Are you gentle with yourself? 
Or are you gentle towards others? Are you good towards others? These fruits of the Spirit are for others. It's how you exhibit the abundant life that God has given you. And, and that, by extension, means that we are producing this fruit through the Spirit that lives within us. And, and the way that we get that is that living water activating and moving. So, so you see the, the progression here. To have an abundant life, you have the living water. You, you come within yourself and you produce this, this fruit, and this fruit is then given towards other people, and that's how your life becomes abundant in the Spirit. We are as trees. So I started to look at trees. We've, we've talked about trees a lot here in this church. Uh, Pastor even brought up a, a sermon that he's preached at, in Brazil where we talked about the tree of life. But in Genesis chapter 2, we see these trees. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight, good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out, a river, how about that? Living water went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. And then we read on in Genesis chapter 3, and the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. Now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. You think about this. There's, there's a forest of trees, and these trees have different fruits. And, and inside uh, this garden is a tree, a tree of life, and, and either near it or next to it or somewhere in the vicinity is another tree, a tree of knowledge of, of good and evil. And, and the Lord tells Adam and Eve, don't eat of the knowledge, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Every other tree you can enjoy, just don't eat that one. And, and so they go around their, about their day, and they're collecting fruit from these trees, and they're eating fruit from these trees. I, I imagine that if God said you can eat of every single tree, that they probably sampled every single fruit. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you go through all these trees and say, oh, look at that, that orange-looking one. I don't know if it orange was invented back then, but he looked at it, and he said, look at that one. I'm going to try it. It's round. I'm going to bite into it. Oh, this flesh is bitter. From now on, I'm going to take this flesh off, and I'm just going to eat uh, the meat that's inside. And, and maybe he tried that with a different one. Oh, this one is, is also round, but it's red. And, and then when you bite into it, it's got a, a very hearty flesh. Sometimes it's mealy. Depends on the type of, of apple that I'm getting. Maybe they tried a, a mango. Maybe they tried some pineapple. There's all sorts of trees out there with different types of fruits. But they're trying them. Adam and Eve are going out there trying them. And I imagine that they at some point in time tried the fruit from the tree of life. And, and they consumed of its fruit. And then the, the enemy deceives them and he says, hey, come try this tree. And they said, no, 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 we're not supposed to try that tree. That's the one tree that we can't have. And, and you all know the story. You know what happens there. It, the Bible doesn't specifically say that they ate from the tree of life. I imagine that they probably did. So I, I believe that the tree of life was not a one-time immortality ticket. 
I don't believe that the tree of life, when you eat of that fruit, that's it, you're done, you're going to live forever. I believe it's something that had to be consumed on a regular basis. I believe that the Lord wanted them to be a part of the forest and to eat of these trees incrementally. In fact, I also believe that God wanted them to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but he wanted to share that experience with him. Why else would he put a tree that was not there for them to eat? Why would he, quote unquote, tempt them with this tree? Was it really just a test? No. I truly believe that God put that tree there to be consumed, but to be consumed at an appropriate time. I believe that that tree was there for the fruit to be plucked and to be taken and to be diced or, or, or shaved or, or cooked or reduced or in some way prepared so that they could incrementally have the knowledge that God wanted them to have. That was the purpose of the tree. He wanted them to enjoy all of the other fruits on their own, but this one, he wanted to partner with them. He wanted to share the fruit with them. He wanted to be a part of that knowledge gathering, and that's why he said, don't eat of it. Don't eat of it. It was there for a reason, and they ate of that. So, so God then sees them, and he says, look, they've already eaten of this tree. They have all this knowledge that they're not supposed to have, and what I don't want them to do is continue to eat of the tree of life and, and then therefore live forever, so I've got to kick them out. He could have just taken, gotten rid of the tree itself, but he, no, he kicked them out because he knew they would not be able to not eat of that tree anymore. So he kicks them out, and he says, I need you to produce your own fruit. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden to till the ground from whence he was taken. Now it's your job, Adam, it's your job, Eve, to produce the fruit that is going to allow you to continue to live. Now that you've seen these trees, now that you've seen how this works, you're going to have to produce the fruit. Living water, therefore, is extended from the garden, as we've seen here, out into this world to, to encourage the bearing of fruit. That's what we were supposed to be. Isaiah chapter 61, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. We are called to be trees of righteousness. Abundant life is about propagation. It's about spreading the seeds that are within us from the Lord through that living water. Do you see the connections here? Do you see how the Garden of Eden is playing into all of this? How he wanted us to, to take this living water and then to continue forth with the propagation of the seeds. We see the opposite of this in Matthew chapter 21. And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Now, in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, let no fruit grow on thee 
henceward forward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus is, is walking uh, through Bethany. He's staying there. He's, he's going to do some ministry. He's going to do some preaching, some teaching, and, and on the way there, uh, he sees this fruit tree. And as he sees this tree, he's like, I'm hungry. I'm going to get some, some figs. Now, the book of John tells the same story, but it adds a, a caveat that it was not the time of figs. Uh, for those of you who know a little bit about biology or botany, you understand that there's a time and season for, for trees to fruit. Um, I, I recognized this a while back as I started going to, I do most of the grocery shopping. And so I, I go to the grocery store and I, I buy uh, food. And, and I don't know how you do your grocery shopping. I always start on the left. I always go to the left. And usually on the left, of any grocery store, you tend to find the fruits and the vegetables. Have you recognized this yet? You go to the left, you're going to find fruits and vegetables. And then as you start going towards the center, you're going to find some of the, the frozen stuff. That's where all the refrigerators are. And then it, as you go to the right, sometimes on the left they have the milks, but sometimes it's over there on the far back in the far right. So then, then you come to the right, and you get all the meats and the, the the milks and all that stuff, and then down the center, and, and you usually don't spend a lot of time in the center, are all the stuff that keeps for a lot longer. So, so as, a, as an individual, I tend to just make this big circle in the grocery store and then come back out from the right. I don't know how you shop. That's how I shop. But you don't have to go into the middle. Why? Because those are stuff that, that's kept for a long time. So all of your, your pastas and your condiments and all that stuff, it's in the middle. It's in the middle because they know you're not going to spend a lot of time there. So grocery stores have created this, this place where you can just make a huge circle and then come out and you're done. Uh, and I do it that way because I want to get my milk last. I don't want my milk to be in the cart for a very long time and start to get warm and spoil. So that's why I do that, right? I go to the left, I come out the back and come through the right. But I've recognized too as I do this, as a long story just to tell you this, I, I do this and, and I've recognized that there are certain seasons for fruit. You can, you can pretty much buy uh, an apple at, and at any point in time throughout the year. You can pretty much buy an orange any time throughout the year. You can buy mangoes at any time throughout the year, watermelon. The one thing you really can't buy throughout the year are pumpkins because there's just not a huge demand for pumpkins. But it's because fruits are seasonal. What you'll recognize, though, in the seasons is even though you can buy an apple at any point in time or an orange or a mango, um, that you will find less of them and, and less hardy versions of them depending on the season. Mangoes are a summer fruit. And so, yes, you can buy them in the winter, but they tend to be really anemic. They tend to be small. They tend to have come, obviously, out of all the processing that they're doing, they, they tend not to taste very good. I tend to find uh, mangoes out of season at the grocery store don't taste as good, or, or they're usually very bruised, or they're, they've got brown stuff in the middle. They're just not as good because they're out of season. You'll find the same thing for, for oranges. Yes, you can buy oranges, but they're not as good out of season. This, this season is very important. This fig that Jesus was looking at was out of season. He wasn't at a grocery store, mind you. He wasn't at his local Kroger or Tom Thumb. I prefer Kroger to Tom Thumb. I'm just putting it out there. But he wasn't at his local Kroger. 
he was out in the real world and he sees this fruit tree and he says, I want some fruit. It's out of season, the book of John said, but he goes up to it and he says, there's no fruit on this, this tree and he curses it. He curses it. The Bible says curse. It's not my word. It's the Bible's word. He curses the tree. In some recollections, this happens over a span of, of a night. In this particular story, it happens immediately. Some scholars believe that these are two different stories that happened twice. Some people believe that it's just a recollection. One pe- person recollected it differently. Um, in, in one version, in this version, they say that, that the recollection happened this way because it was a, an immediate thing in their mind. It, it didn't happen over a span of a week. It happened over the span of a night, so it's basically the same day. The point was that it happened, and it happened immediately. They saw it, he, he did it, and then the very next day or, or that same day, that tree was withered. And they, they marveled at the tree being withered. And, and so recognize that whether it happened right in front of their eyes and the tree withered and, and died, or if it happened over the course of a night, that this thing died that very same day. Or, or that night, or within the span of 24 hours, it died. Jesus looked at this thing and says, you will never bear fruit again. Consider that. There are trees out there that, that don't really bear fruit. They don't have a fruit to bear, but they continue to grow. They continue to thrive. I'm going to say thrive. They continue to live. They continue to produce leaves and gather sunlight and get water and all that stuff, but they don't produce fruit. So, so this tree could, in essence, have continued to live and not produce fruit. But Jesus pointed and said, you will never produce fruit again, and it died. And, and I think it's, a, I think it's a, a, a story for us to understand that if you are not producing fruit, you are, in essence, dead. That you have withered and you have died. It's a, it's a, a call to us to produce fruit, that this is the thing that God wants us to, to do, to see, that, that the life within us, the abundant life within us has to come out and has to be producing fruit. I, I was then reminded here of Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, put it under a bushel, put on a candlestick, and give it, giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. There's, there's nothing about fruit here or trees or anything like that. But, but I was reading this, and I, I started to study it. Um, Salt cannot lose its flavor. There, there is no physical way for salt to lose flavor, savor. It's, it's impossible. Salt is a, a compound. It's made of sodium and chloride. Sodium chloride, NaCl. It's a very, very strong bond of a mineral that, it, that, it, it, that occurs naturally in nature. It's one of the strongest bonds that you can find out there. Uh, in fact, when you, if you take salt and you put it in water and, and some of those bonds begin to break, uh, it, it flavors your water, makes your, your water salty, but it doesn't actually break that 
particular compound. If you were to boil the water away, what would you have left over? You would still have salt left over in your pan. In fact, that's how they make salt to begin with. Did you know this? I studied it. It's fascinating. There's a lot of YouTube videos out there on it. You could go down a huge rabbit hole, and I kind of did. As I was watching salt videos and how do you make salt, I was going to ask Zach if he ever tried this because he lived next to the ocean. They take ocean water and, and they spread it across, and depending on how much you want to make, you can spread it across uh, vast fields of, of sand or concrete or whatever, and they let the water evaporate from that salt water, and, and what's left is salt. That's how they make salt. You can take that, that same concept. A guy took a, a gallon jug, four liters, filled it with salt water, and, and poured it into a, a pot, and he started to boil the pot. And he allowed the pot to boil until uh, it was about a third left. So two-thirds gone, a third left, and, and what was left there was a brine, a very strong brine. And that brine that's left over, then you lower the temperature, and then you let the water evaporate even more. And so that, that evaporated water begins to go down, 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 and then what's left over is just this slush that's salt. And then you take this salt and you bake it, you evaporate even more water, and what's left are, uh, is just salt. It's salt, and they used it, and that's, that's how they live their life, and they, they make salt all the time. Again, fast. I'm going to try it one day. I'm going to try to make uh, some salt out of salt water. I don't know where I'm going to find the salt water, but we're going to try to do it. But it was fascinating. And, and so as I started researching this, there's, there's only two ways to get salt. It's this process that I just described to you. And the other one is through the breaking down of, of rock salt. Rocks that have, that have come from ocean beds, ocean water beds, that have lost all of their water already, compressed into a rock state, and it's just now a big rock of salt. The problem with this salt is that a lot of times it has contaminants in it. And so it, it has other things that are a part of the rock inside the salt, and you ne can't necessarily eat it like that. So if you find rock salt, you can't just take it, break it apart, and start to eat it. There's just too much, too many other minerals that are a part of it. You have to really refine it and break it down. You can do it, but it's a lot more difficult. The main way that we get salt in this, in this time now is through that process I just described. We take salt water, we boil it down until all we have left is salt. But after having said all of that, I still need you to recognize that there is not a flavor on top of this mineral called sodium chloride. It's not something like a coating. It is the reaction of your tongue and those two elements together that give salt its saltiness. And, and it doesn't go away. It dissolves in your mouth, and you gain that mineral inside of you, but it doesn't go away. Salt cannot lose its flavor. So, so I look at this passage, and you can think, well, maybe Jesus just didn't know what he was talking about. Well, no, surely this has happened to this group of people. Because he gives an example. Look, when it happens, what do you do with it when it happens? I'll tell you what happens. You guys throw it away. You've been here before, my people, that when salt loses its flavor, you, you throw it. It's only good for just sprinkling out there and, and tossing it because it's no good to anybody. But salt can't lose its flavor. So what was he talking about here? I told you that there's two processes. One is the, the, the salt water and the other one was the rock salt. This one you cannot eat. It's inedible. You have to refine it and do stuff with it to make it edible. The other one, obviously very edible. You can do it, and you can take it out, and you can refine it. What tended to happen 
at this point in time is that, that they would take other minerals and they would expand on the salt in order to get more from it. It's a long, arduous process. It takes a long time to make some good salt. And in fact, the guy that made four liters of, of salt water into salt only had about half a cup of salt at the end of the process. So all that work, the, the hours and hours of him boiling water and baking and all this stuff, about half a cup of salt, it's unsustainable if you want to have a salty meal every single day, right? If everybody's using the salt, the salt's going to be gone. So what they tended to do back then is they would add stuff to it. What they tended to add were things like calcium or, or some phosphates, other things that wouldn't necessarily detract uh, from the flavor or maybe might enhance the flavor, but it was a filler. And these fillers tended to rot. And that's what he's talking about here. The fillers and the other minerals that were found in this particular type of salt is, is what would eventually make the salt lose its, its savor, its flavor, because it had already been diluted by the individual. And what you're really tasting is just the remnant of the salt. And so what he's talking about here is, is dilution. He's talking about the concept of, of someone coming in and putting impurities into that salt in order to expand its usage. So, so really what he's saying here is, if you have salt, you are supposed to be the salt of the earth. If you find those impurities within you, what you're going to find is that you lose your savor, your, your flavor. I keep saying that word, but, but it's interesting. Because this word here, is, is the word, and, and it's, in your, it's in your notes, morino. It's where we get our word moron from. It, it literally means foolishness. It's the same word used in Matthew 25. Let's read it real quick. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five of them were moreno, that they were foolish to take their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Let's, let's read it with that different word because it, it kind of doesn't make sense. And five of them were wise and five were savor. It doesn't read the same, does it? Five of them were flavor. This, this word here, if, if you look at the Greek, it's, it's but if salt moreno, not have lost, just moreno. But if the salt is foolish, Wherewith shall it be flavored again? Where will it be salted? Where will it get the essence of salt again? And what he's saying is it, it won't, it can't, because this foolishness has taken over. You have, you have become flat. You have become tasteless. The same word. Five of them were wise. Five of them were moreno. It's talking about unpreparedness. It's talking about being unwise. It's those who don't take the experiences. We started this, this sermon talking about my experience with, with the, um, the kidney stone. Those who don't take those experiences and learn from it. Those who don't take it and grow from it. Those who don't take it and understand what needs to be said to others about it. Who become living water as they go through this and then they pour out into others and say, hey, here's what needs to happen. I remember when I got my first um, kidney stone. And I told my, my dad about it, and I told my uncle, who is in the medical field, he's a, he's a phlebotomist, and his son is a, a pharmacy technician, and so they know all about this medical stuff. And I can go to them whenever I have questions about particular medications, and so I, I'm texting all of them. 
I'm, we're in this chain. And I said, guys, I've got my first kidney stone. What do I do? What do you think the number one thing they told me to do was? Drink water. Drink lots and lots and lots of water. That was their number one advice is drink water. You know what the second thing they told me to do? Drink water. <laughs> drink lots and lots and lots of water. That's it. There's nothing you can do about this thing. As, as I have gone through this experience, the one thing I have learned is I need to drink more water. And I have. I have drunk way more water than I did in my past. I, I have drunk, I drink less sodas than I had in the past. I used to just down soda after soda after soda. I would have a soda in the morning. I would have two sodas for lunch. I would drink a soda for a snack. I would have soda for dinner. It's just part of our lifestyle here as Americans, isn't it? We love our soda. I love soda. There's people who love Dr. Pepper, people who love Coke. Nobody likes Pepsi. We love our sodas. But I've learned from this experience here that I need to drink more water. So do I drink a soda? Yeah, every once in a while. If I go to a restaurant and they have the good soda, you know what I'm talking about, right? The good soda where it comes from the fountain and there's a, there's a direct balance between the syrup and the, the carbonation. Uh, I love that flavor of the soda. Getting soda out of a can is fine. It's, it's good, but it's not great. It's not like the fountain sodas that you can get. So if I go to a restaurant and they have the good fountain soda, I'll get it. If the waiter comes and I say, I'd like a Coke, and they say, all we have is Pepsi products, give me a water. I, I, but I drink water now. I used to get the fountain soda all the time. Now I'm like, look, give me a soda, but give me a water as well. If I finish that soda, I'm going to drink the water afterwards. I've learned, I don't want to say I learned my lesson because I still drink soda, but I've learned you got to drink your water. You got to drink your water. There are lessons that the Lord is teaching us physically, spiritually, things that we are going through, things that you're going through right now that the Lord is using not just for you, but to enhance the lives of other people. This is truly what it's talking about when it says abundant life. It's taking these experiences that God has taken you through and understanding the inner workings and what God is preparing, not just you for, but those around you. That's how we are trees bearing fruit of patience and joy and love because we go through this, we grow through this, and then we bear that fruit for others to enjoy. It is wonderful when God heals you. It, it, it is miraculous to, to be in a situation like that and, and then to wake up the next morning or, or go through the day without having had taken your medication and, and man, I feel great. I feel good. It, there's, there's nothing wrong with me right now. And I love those testimonies. I love that time when God does that. But, but I know that the experience is for a reason. Know that what you're going through right now is for a reason and that he's taking you to a new place. He's taking you to a, a higher place and he's taking you to a place where you can share this experience with other people and bear the fruit that they need in order for them to grow. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for what you have done in the body of this church and for the many, many shared experiences that we have had. Lord, as a, as a body, we have gone through so much, and, and we thank you for those that have, that have stayed, those that have sustained, 
those that, that are going through this walk right now who are exhibiting abundant life. Lord, I pray for anybody out there who is feeling run down, for anybody out there who, who is in need of healing physically, mentally, spiritually. Lord, those that are, that are dealing with something financially. Lord, those that are going through this life and wondering, Father, I need you. Like, where are you? Help me. I pray right now that you just encourage them with your living water, that you encourage them with your abundant life. Lord, that you take us to a new plane of thinking and don't let us be like the foolish virgins, un- virgins unprepared, unwise to what you're doing. But help us, Lord, to learn from these experiences, to take this living water, to bear this fruit, and to give it to others. Father, we thank you. We love you. And we appreciate your your reliance on us and your, your faith in us as we go out into the nations, as we preach, as we teach, as, as we see the, the faces of these people light up and the knowing that there's more to this relationship than just casually coming to a church and, and sitting and listening, Lord, but being invested and being partners with you. We thank you for that. We thank you that it is alive and well in this place. And Lord, we just pray that you continue to be with us, that you continue to go forth, continue to allow us to bear your fruit. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. It is early. It is 1215. God bless you. Have a great weekend, uh, or rest of the weekend, I should say, with with the holiday coming up. Uh, Happy Independence Day. Have a great night. We love you. God bless you. Amen.